Well, today, as we think about and are continuing this Christmas season, uh, the Christmas story hasn't changed in 2,000 years, and it's not going to change for us today. And so if you've been in church a long time, uh, probably the things that I'm going to share with you today are not new, uh, but it's good to be reminded uh, about what God says about his one and only son, Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you're new to church life, uh, this will give you a great insight into who Jesus is. Uh, What did God the Father say about his only begotten son, Jesus? Because he said some very important things uh, to Mary uh, about who Jesus is and will be. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Luke is the kind of the Christmas story. Uh, We know that because of Charlie Brown. And we're going to be looking at it today, but as you turn to Luke chapter 1, I want you to think about this year, if your family uh, did a greeting card, a Christmas card, or you've received some Christmas cards. Uh, We've already received a few. Uh, We were on the ball this year and got ours done. Uh, It'll be here soon. And most of them will say, Merry Christmas, celebrate the joy of the season, Uh, Maybe even happy holidays. If you're a little late, you know, happy holidays, you get it sent between Christmas and New Year, so it's happy holidays. Uh, And and they have pictures of your family and your dog and whatever else. But have you ever looked at a greeting card, like you've gone to the store and looked at a greeting card around Christmas? They're all so beautiful and, and, and sort of this romanticized version Uh, of the manger scene. Uh, On Tuesday, our weekday preschool is going to have a little Christmas performance here, and they're going to have shepherds and an angel come down, and there's going to be a little baby Jesus down front here, and it's going to be a wonderful time, and parents are going to have their cell phones out, and we don't have video cameras anymore. It is your cell phone, and they're going to just celebrate that great moment, but I think culture has somehow over the the ages gotten this scene of Christmas uh, perhaps a little wrong. And there was a missionary to China in the 1500s. And this missionary, when he went over to China, he knew that language was going to be an issue. And so he brought with him these images, these paintings of the story of the life of Christ. From Christ's birth all the way to his resurrection image after image after image, which was very popular in that era because most of the world was illiterate. And so they used pictures, stained glass, those kinds of things to tell the story of Jesus. And so when he got to China, he began to share the story of Jesus through these pictures. And as he shared with the Chinese, they all began to gravitate to the birth narrative, that the story of Jesus' birth, because if you've been, if you've seen any artwork from that era, from the 1500s, right, in the, the era of the Reformation, that there's great beauty in the birth narrative. And they romanticize that imagery. And so as this missionary named Matteo was sharing with these Chinese, they all wanted to look at the birth narrative. But when he got to the cross, They were repulsed by it. They hated it. They didn't want anything to do with the cross. They wanted to go back and focus on baby Jesus and his mother Mary. And so this morning as you and I consider 
the birth of Jesus, let me remind you, the story of Bethlehem has its culmination at Calvary and the cross. And what God declares to Mary in this passage in Luke chapter 1 is about King Jesus, who we've sung a bunch about today, and who he is as our Savior. And so I want you to look at Luke chapter 1 again with me. We're going to read verse 26 through 33. Mary's not pregnant just yet, and God appears to her through the angel, of, angel Gabriel, and he says this. In the sixth month, verse 26, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. You and I would probably be freaked out as well. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And in logical fashion, right after this, Mary says, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. God, I'm not sure you've got the right person. But in this passage here, this conversation that the angel Gabriel has with Mary gives us great insight, great reminder to us this Christmas of who Jesus is, this baby born in a manger. Now, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Uh, that's more than engaged, but not quite married. So if they weren't living together, but it wasn't like if they broke up, here's the ring back, have a nice day. If they broke up at this point of betrothal, they actually had to file for divorce. So, so their marriage wasn't complete yet, but it wasn't just simply, oh, uh, we're engaged and we have some photos to prove it. This, this was a serious level of commitment in the relationship. And so in this moment, the angel appears, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and calls her highly favored, which means full of grace. And I wonder what makes Mary any different from you and me. A, a, a young woman, maybe even a teenager, who's in Nazareth of Galilee, which none of us could easily find on a map, But yet God called her favored, highly favored, full of grace. This little moment here helps me remember that God sees us and cares for us and wants relationship with us. And so no matter where you are or who you are, know that God wants to engage you. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants to show up. He wants to show you his grace. Because there's not much difference from Mary in Nazareth than there is from you in Southeast Houston. God loves you. He cares for you. He's paying attention to you. 
And so here she is, this young woman, not quite sure what's happening, not quite sure why the angel would say that about her. But here he is. Something amazing is going to happen to you, Mary. Something that is sort of a miracle of miracles, that the, maybe the greatest miracle ever is going to occur to you. A miracle like no other. God will supernaturally conceive a child in your womb. That the phrase here is to overshadow. It's the same idea that's used in the Old Testament when, when God's presence would fill the tabernacle. That his presence would overshadow which see about Moses, when God would meet with Moses, it's the same idea that his presence engulfs the moment, engulfs that space, and some way supernaturally God was going to make his presence known to her, and she was going to conceive a child. And then the angel declares five truths about Jesus, five things that we can know and embrace and understand about who Jesus is. And they're pretty straightforward, pretty simple. He just sort of lays them out uh, easy. He says the first one is he'll be great. He will be great. Well, the truth is he is great, not will be. He is great. And he's not great like Muhammad Ali who said, I am the greatest. He's not great like Tom Brady is great. He's not great like Elon Musk is great. Those are all great business leaders and athletes and they're great in a human perspective. They have talent and ability. They have intellect. They're not, he's not great because of something he says or does. He's great because of who he is. He's the greatest, not because of his human characteristics. He's the greatest because he's God. He is the son who is greater than all. He's greater because he's holy and righteous and true. He is life. He is love. That's who he is. He is God in the flesh. And I think about this idea of great. I, I had a, a teacher. I'm sure I've mentioned him before. I had him in eighth grade and again in 12th grade. Great teacher. He wore a maroon tie. That might give you some insight on where he went to college. It was a knit tie, but that was the 80s, so it fit. But he was great. Every, we all loved him. He was wonderful. He pushed us to excel. He wanted us to, to achieve great things. He taught us history and government and economics, and, and he was great because he imparted knowledge to us. He encouraged us. He challenged us. He kind of put us in our place when we needed to be put in our place. He lifted us up when we felt defeated. He was a great teacher. And, and as I think about sometimes people look at Jesus and say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher. Oh. Yes, but no. Because that's not who he is. He's not a great teacher by human standards, some moral code that we can live by. No, he is the great creator, the almighty God, all-powerful prince of peace. He is the name above every name. He is the greatest because of who he is, not what he does or says. He will be great because he's holy, righteous, he's God. 
He displays the greatness of God. He is God in the flesh, and so he displays the greatness of God. But then the angel goes on to say, he will be called the son of the most high God. Now, if you're an Israelite and you're listening to this or reading it later or you hear Mary say it later on, this is the key thing here. So for us, like Gentiles, uh, those of us that are not Jewish, it's like, oh, yeah, we just sort of take it. Yeah, Jesus, son of the most high God, we believe that. But for a Jewish person to read this, this is a game changer. This is the, the big deal. This is the most important statement because this statement means that Jesus is equal to God. And to make that claim in that culture was heresy. And so, this is the statement. Because Jesus is equal to God. He is God. Because God would come to this earth for one purpose and one purpose only, to redeem his people. That's why Jesus is called the son of the most high God, because he came for one purpose, to redeem the people, to redeem the nation of Israel, to redeem all of mankind. And so the angel Gabriel wanted to be very clear to Mary and to the rest of the Israelites that this one who is coming is the Messiah. He is God. He is come, coming for redemption, to redeem you. He's God in the flesh. That's why when people ask about, well, what book of the Bible should we start reading or should we read if we want to find out more about Jesus? I always point people to the book of John because the book of John is a great picture of Jesus's divinity, who he is as divine. Father, all the I am statements, the same statements that God, similar statements that God made in the Old Testament, Jesus makes in John. In the beginning of John, John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The word, Word, you just substitute the name Jesus, he was there and he came in the flesh. So we think about the Son of the Most High God, this is the linchpin of Jesus' claim. Because he is God. And he will sit on the throne of the house of David. He will rule over the house of David. Do you ever wonder if you're not really sort of important in a storyline? Like something happening at school or in your family life or at work. And, and you feel like you're just sort of the, you know, you're an extra. You're an extra in the storyline, in the narrative I imagine that's how Joseph felt here at some point. <laughs> uh, I'm just sort of along for the ride. God and Mary are getting all the credit. I'm just an also-ran. Let us be reminded today that Joseph, the stepdad, is important in this story because Joseph is from the house of David. He is from the line of David. And, and the Messiah, everyone knew in Israel that the Messiah had to be from the line of David. Well, guess what? Enter Joseph. It's important. Every person has a, has a part in the story. And Joseph here, this is his contribution, not just a small one, but 
a significant one because he is from the house of David. It's the reason they go to Bethlehem and Jesus is born in Bethlehem so they can fulfill that prophecy because Jesus is from the house of David because Joseph is from the house of David. We'll sit on that throne. He, he will come from the line of David. He is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He is the one that the entire Old Testament is pointing to. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. He is the one to come rescue us. He is the deliverer. He is the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's who he is. And he's coming. And Gabriel is telling Mary in this moment that he will sit on the throne of David and his kingdom will reign over the house of Jacob forever. I don't know if you remember the story of Jacob. Jacob was not a great guy. He was a twin, second, and he didn't really like that, even from the beginning. One of our members from the first service told me uh, she heard a pastor one time say, the name Jacob means slick, and not like slick in a good way. Like, a, he, he, he's, you know, a manipulator, a conniver, He's going to get his way. I, I know none of you are ever like that. You don't ever try to manipulate anybody, try to get your way. None of us are like that. But that's what his name means. And that's what he did his whole life. He tricked his family, tricked his brother. That's all he did was just a trickster. Until one day, God had had enough, and he and God had a little wrestling match. And at the end of that wrestling match, God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Significant change. And so as Gabriel is saying here, I'll reign over the, he will reign over the house of Jacob, what the angel is saying is this Jesus, he's going to rule over all of Israel. He, he will be Israel's, Israel's ruler. And we know from the rest of the story that he's not just the ruler over all of Israel, but all of humanity. He's the king, the king above all kings, the king over every nation and every people. And there's a song, it's a Christmas song, and, and if you ever need to play Name That Tune or some kind of music trivia, do not invite me. Because I'm horrible at it. Like, I, I don't remember lyrics. Some of you are amazing at it. Obviously, our worship team, they're awesome. But I, I'm the worst. People ask me, you know, about song lyrics. I said, you got to play it for me because I have no idea. And, and so as I was preparing for this message, this Christmas song that plays on the radio came, came to my mind. But, of course, I couldn't remember who sings it, what the real name of it is, anything. Well, what do you know? God helped me out. On Friday, I'm driving around, and it comes on the radio. And, and it's the song, How Many Kings, by a little group called Down Here. And, and this is what it says about Jesus, who is our once and for all king. This is what it says. How many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that has all torn apart? How many fathers gave up, gave up their sons for me? And the answer is only one. Only one. 
And Jesus is the king of all kings, the once and for all king, the once and for all savior who left the glory of heaven for you, left the glory of heaven for you, left the glory of heaven for me so that he could rule and reign over all, not with a heavy-handed thumb, not in an earthly kingdom uh, like what many of the Jewish people thought he would do. No, he came to rule with grace and love and justice and mercy. And so he rules with those things. And he rules forever because the last thing that the angel said to her is that his kingdom will never end. Jesus is eternal and his kingdom is eternal. He is forever and his kingdom is forever. And the beauty of that is that he wants you and I to be a part of his kingdom. He wants us to be citizens of his kingdom. And he was born not to establish an earthly kingdom, not not to establish this great powerful kingdom and kick the Romans out because that would be the easy thing to do. Right? That's what we would all want to do is kick the bad guys out and Jesus, you take over. That's what we want now. That's what we want now. We want the bad guys out and the bad ladies out and we want the good people in. And who are those people, the good people? Well, they're us, of course, because we're all perfect. That's what they wanted. They wanted an earthly kingdom, but Jesus didn't come for an earthly kingdom. He came to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven. If you remember a few weeks ago, we we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. We want God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He came to demonstrate to us what that kingdom of heaven really looks like. To show, to demonstrate what love and compassion and grace and servanthood and mercy and forgiveness and love without condition really looks like. That's why he came, not to establish a political kingdom. No, to establish a kingdom that lasts forever. And he invites you and me to be citizens of that kingdom. He invites us to be a part of that, that forever kingdom. Because his name, the name Jesus, means God is salvation. That's his name. God is salvation. You and I live in a kingdom headed for destruction. We live a life headed for destruction. And he has come as the great king, the greatest king, to invite us to exchange that kingdom for a different kingdom, a kingdom that lasts forever, a kingdom full of hope and purpose and love and forgiveness, for him to reign in our hearts, to rule over our lives, to save us because we need a savior even when we don't think we do. That's why he came to give us an eternal citizenship in heaven. And as we look at this passage, that his kingdom will never end, the struggle sometimes is that we look at the birth of Christ and we forget that the outcome of the birth of Christ is the death of Christ. The outcome of the birth of Christ is him dying on a cross, paying the penalty for our sin. That's the cost of his kingship. That's the cost of his kingdom, is to pay the penalty of our sin, the sin of his own people, the Israelites. 
but yet his resurrection demonstrates that he really is the king of all, conquering sin and death, all-powerful, not bound by sin and death. And so it's into that kingdom that he invites you and me. And so this Christmas season, I want us to be reminded that his kingdom is the greatest kingdom. That his love is the greatest love. That if you allow him to rule in your hearts and your lives, that he will be the greatest joy you'll ever experience. That he'll help you share love in the greatest way. That he'll help you be the greatest servant of all because when you're the greatest servant of all, you'll be the greatest of all. But most of all, I want to remind you that this baby born in a manger, the long expectant Jesus, what a strange title for our modern ears, that this long expectant Jesus is the Son of God who desires a relationship with you and me that we would place our faith in him as the king above all kings, the name above all names, the son of the most high God. They would celebrate his love for us. He is King Jesus. He is eternal. And he loves you. Will you pray with me?